Welcome to Cat Chat, the pet talk podcast devoted to the physical and emotional well-being of cats and their people. I'm Tracy Hotchner, the author of The Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. My mission is to entertain, educate, and inspire cat lovers like you to give your kitty cats the best possible life in nutrition, affection, and environmental enrichment. My co-host is the feline expert, Dr. Michael Maria Delgado, along with other cat authors and experts. The show is brought to you with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, a company privately owned by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian whose mission has been to personally formulate a wide variety of litters for all types of cats, so they keep using their litter box, which keeps them in their loving homes. Dr. Elsie also created his own cat food, Clean Protein, wet and dry foods that are specifically appropriate for a cat's nutrition needs because they're based on the protein a cat eats naturally. Clean Protein is the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and continuing sponsor of my New York Cat Film Festival which brings together short films from around the world that celebrate kitty cats. It would be impossible for me to bring this delightful joy to people without Dr. Elsie's generosity. The fifth annual New York Cat Film Festival will premiere this fall in New York City and then travel to theaters across America and Canada, with a portion of every ticket going to local cat welfare organizations. Please show your appreciation of Dr. Elsie's support by choosing their products, whenever you can. Dr. Michael Maria Delgado is a behavior specialist, but she's a scientist. She follows the science about cats. Somebody sent me a link to some supposedly fabulous new study of a contraceptive you could give to cats one time and they would never make babies again. There'd be no more kitten season. There'd be no TNR problems. And Dr. Michael said, yeah, not so fast. Michael, what what what's up with that study, and and what do we know about spay neuter and the fact that there's so many cats that aren't spay neutered is like a whole giant conversation. But let's talk about that study, since not too many people will have heard about it. I only heard about it from a listener who wrote in. Yeah, I mean it's it's a really great step forward as far as um, preventing excessive reproduction in cats. Right, we know that. We have too many cats, too many cats on the streets, too many cats having babies, too many cats needing homes. And the more cats there are out there, the harder it is to provide them with good care and the more struggle there is for cats on the street to get access to food and shelter and all that stuff. So the goal is to reduce the population of cats so that we don't have an overpopulation issue. I think the, the um, I mean, I've been saying for years, like we need some non-surgical methods. Yes, to address the overpopulation problem in companion animals. And so this study is a huge step forward. I don't want to, when I say not so fast, I mean, I think the the only issue is just that it's going to probably be several years before we can apply this to every cat. This was a small study of six cats and they had to wait several years to make sure there were no negative effects of of this procedure, which is a a shot of an injection. And they also had to test that it worked. So they tested it in cats that were, intact and living together and they basically you know saw that the cats who did not receive the contraception 
all made babies and the <laughs> the contraception did not make babies and, and it was effective. I think they, they tested for three years. So this is, you know, huge. This is definitely something that we need. Unfortunately, it's still very hands-on. So once it is accessible to people, they're still going to have to trap cats to give them this injection and they're going to have to probably mark them. So people know they've already, just like they do with um, trap, neuter, return, right. notch or, or ear tip a cat so that you can identify quickly, has this cat already gotten the injection or neutered and you don't have to yeah. go through the hassle of, yeah, you know, so they'll have to do some kind of identifying um, probably similar ear tip, something that people can see from a distance to tell that, okay, this cat has already had this procedure done. However, yeah, I think it's really, just a small study, six cats, but it did appear to be very effective and safe. And so, you know, now the big question is just, when do we get to um, to use this? And is this going to make things easier for, um, for people who are doing trap neuter return? It will certainly make things less expensive because we know that, you know, rescues and, and people doing TNR are not usually getting those surgeries done for free. They might be done at low cost some subsidizing in some areas by like grants or, or city, city funds, but it's a pretty rough situation out there for people doing TNR because there's just so many cats right now that, that need help. And we know that still post pandemic veterinary services are hugely impacted. Spay and neuter services are hugely impacted. A lot of places stopped doing spay and neuter at shelters or doing any kind of intake of animals during the pandemic. And we're still feeling the ripple effects of that. Well, yes, that, that's definitely all true. And the other problem with TNR is when you do spay-neuter, besides trapping them, which is has got to be the first step anyway, because then there's also some amount of a health check done too, and, and a rabies shot, I guess, is the, the post-surgical. I mean, there's managing them during the surgery, and then they all have to recover and yeah. then be put back. And maybe some of them might even, I don't know, I, I imagine some of them develop some kind of post-surgical complication, and not everyone can be followed. So an injection is completely different way of handling it. But you said that it wasn't that simple. Did you mean just because they still need to be trapped? Or is there some other yes. aspect yeah, so to it? No, and you know, there's been there's been um, other methods used in different species. For example, for birds, there's a product called Ovaban where they actually can just uh, put it in bird food. And really? They use this. Yeah, they use this in pigeons in some municipal areas where the pigeons eat the food, and now they can't make babies. No And kidding. so that reduces the pigeon population, and you don't have to touch any birds, right? And it doesn't change their behavior, so they still go through all the basically wow. all the act, you know, all the mating behaviors that kind of allow pigeons to do normal pigeon things, but they just can't make viable eggs. So, you know, w when I start thinking about like radical things, it would be where you could uh, basically prevent contraception in huge amount of animals without the labor intensive part of trapping them. Because you also know, I mean, if you've talked to TNR people, you know, there's always those cats that are very trap savvy and they oh, just yeah. seem to um, always have a way to avoid being trapped. Now, of course, if there's just a few of them, then that's going to have a minimal minimal impact on the overall population if you've just got a few reproductive animals as opposed to loads and loads. But in an ideal world, it would be like, can we just get all of these cats at once without the, the kind of high labor thing? Because the other thing about TNR is we know it's effective when it when it is done to a large proportion of a population. And I think, um, you know, research modeling has suggested like 
of a population needs to be spayed and neutered to prevent growth in that group. So from reproduction, and we know cats can make a lot of babies at once, right? They can have yes. pretty large litters. So it's and very frequently. Easy and frequently and young. So it's very easy for a colony to grow incredibly fast and get out of control. I mean, this is how people end up in hoarding situations indoors, but you know, outdoors, it, ju it just means it can be hard to control population growth. And it's very labor intensive. And also, again, these are, these are mostly volunteers doing this work. So it's a huge amount of dedication and time that people are putting into doing these things. And if you're not, again, hitting around 75% of that population, the effects are going to be pretty minimal. So, you, so you're not going to, you don't have that satisfaction. Wow. I know every cat out here in this colony that I'm looking after, there's no newbies, there's no babies. And that would be very reinforcing to the volunteers and to the TNR efforts. It's got to be pretty discouraging if Mr. and Mrs., who are the great escape artists, make babies, because wouldn't they make survival of the fittest, the smartest, best babies <laughs> who themselves could, could not be caught? I mean, like wilder and wilder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is a question is whether or not, you know, we know, of course, feral cats are the exact same species as the cats who live in our home. There's no differences biologically, but socially and behaviorally, there could be differences and there could be some selection for the, the most feral to keep reproducing yeah. because they're going to be the hardest to trap. Um, so, you know, I, I, what I would just say is just, it's, it's a very complicated thing. And of course, you know, if you have a closed colony where, where no new animals are coming in, then you can get a, a hold of that population very quickly. But we know that people live in areas where maybe people start dumping yes. un, unaltered animals into those colonies. Like, oh, someone's feeding cats here and I don't want my cat anymore. I'll just yeah. hand them over here. And if that cat's not spayed and neutered, then again, you have less control over the population and, and you have new cats entering. And if they're reproductively viable, then they're just adding to the problem. So it's it's a tough situation. But And, and well d described by you. Do you know how the injection works? It, I mean, it's, it's interesting that the pigeon food, do they just need to eat the food, the pigeons one time, and then the eggs will never be fertile? Or do they need to keep eating that same contraceptive food? Do you know? That's a great question, and I don't remember. Um, so, yeah, I would. I, I think the one thing about this injection is that it, it does last at least up to three years. And, yeah, with the food, I assume that they expect that the animals will keep eating it. And, uh, I mean, like I said, I don't want to miss misspeak. Right, no, understood. It's been a while since I, it just kind of popped into my mind because I'm, I because I live in a place where we have a pretty low pigeon population, <laughs> and, I, um, and I used to live somewhere where there are lots of pigeons. Oh, that's and, funny. Uh, and when I did some research, they said that they were they had used the the ovibian here. Um, so so yeah, I I think um, the you know obviously span neuter is permanent, um, and this contraceptive injection seems to be long lasting. So those are you know both very very viable methods and probably like I said pie in the sky ideas of of not having to handle the cats probably way out there and not feasible. Um, and of course you know. You have to be careful if you're putting like if you were putting cat food with contraception in it and other people's cats who are already spayed and neutered are eating it like is that dangerous what about right. start eating right. it so you you know as most like human ideas like you know sometimes you have to kind of think beyond like the problem you're try trying to solve and make sure you're not creating other problems so i'm i'm not proposing like that my idea is great it's no it's no I, it's fascinating problem. though it's but i think we need to think outside the box is really yes. what i would like to see no i love that story of overban food it's just it's interesting i wonder how it works does it suppress the natural hormones that make 
a bird, or in this case, a cat fertile or able to conceive? I mean, I know we don't have to know the science exactly, but if it worked so well in six cats and the devotion of three years of watching and waiting and seeing the babies happen on the left side, whereas on the right side, none, it seems, I think in India, at some point years ago, they had some kind of a contraceptive interaction with it was not with it's not with community dogs because there's a law against messing with them, bringing them home to your home or in any way interfering with their freedoms, which is an interesting concept. I think with cats, there was some kind of a contraceptive drive that didn't involve surgery. I think maybe Humane Society International was involved with it. But I'm just wondering why it would not be practiced on some community cats somewhere. I mean, they could be used as, they wouldn't be guinea pigs anymore because the six cats all tolerated it well. It seems a shame that if it's X dollars to give this injection and X dollars plus a lot more to do surgical spay neuter, plus there's not enough access to those services. What's holding up moving it forward? I mean, I I guess money in the end is always the answer, is it? Yeah, it's almost always money. And um, I do think, uh, if I remember correctly reading about this, the cat contraception is that it was, um, there's a contest actually for researchers to try to develop um, long-lasting or permanent um, yeah. methods of sterilization. And so, you know, these are, there are people interested in funding this. And like I said, I'm sure it will move forward, but, you know, I think as with anything, there's also, you know, people want reassurance um, about the safety of these things. Is six cats enough to say that it's safe? Um, how long would you want to know after they'd received the injection that it was, you know, they weren't having any negative effects that could be slow developing. Of course, you know, you think about things like cancer or something right. you know, that, you know, you know, so it, there's just, I think you, you can't just like necessarily launch it. And then, you know, to use this in animals, I mean, there's not even getting into the question of whether or not feral cats are considered wildlife or pets, depending on where you live, there's lots of, yeah. you know, laws and stuff. So, um, and, you know, I've certainly seen increasing cases of people who do um, feed or care for colonies of feral cats having kind of having to go up against city councils to justify that. And of course, in some countries, cats are basically not not welcome outdoors. So there's there's just a lot of issues involved. And it's a complicated situation. And I think that really anything we can do to promote the sterilization of more cats is going to be helpful. And hopefully we can um, support people who are doing that work and make these advances as quickly as possible. Yeah, very well said. And I think you're, you're, I remember now, yeah, there was, or maybe it's an ongoing contest of sorts, like a shark tank kind of thing. Like if you can come up with the answer, we'll fund your, we'll give you seed money to fund your idea. And then there's always the next stage in all these developments. There are, of course, countries where cats are not only welcome outside, but they're encouraged to go outside. In Germany, owned cats are given ways to to leave their apartments. Um, I interviewed some lady who did a book. I can't remember, terrible me, her name or the name of the book, but it was really interesting. There were photos of these cat escapes from on the back of buildings. 
in some in some urban areas in Germany, like a fire escape, but it was for cats, so they could oh, go cool. out and come back. You know, through this kind of, uh, it's sort of the kind of thing that that you talked about in in your book with Jackson Galaxy of making an environment that was really cat friendly. You know, those kind of stairs against the wall, kind mm-hmm. of like I guess you call them vertical stairs or something. Well, that's what it was like on the side of the buildings, and oh, in okay. and in at least in London, I don't know about the rest of England. The Royal Society for the Protection of Animals, which is like our, our, uh, you know, it, it's a national version, which they also have in Australia of all of our very many individual cat welfare organizations. It's nationalized, sort of like national health. If you adopt a cat, you have to promise to have it go outside <sighs> part of the time, yeah. which is so antithetical to our thinking that that could be dangerous. I don't know about the spay-neuter aspect, but can we talk for a minute about, I, I'm just going to say, using an adjective, but you're always so non-judgy, the nightmare <laughs> of living with an unspayed male or female cat? I mean, why would sure. anybody do that? Yeah, behaviorally, it is, I, I would describe it as a nightmare at, at worst. I mean, at best, it's a nuisance because, mainly because, well, you know, we know unaltered cats are more likely to spray or urinate outside the litter box in addition to spray marking. And of course, you'll see those courtship or mating behaviors, like trying to get out of the house. Uh, you know, females in heat are very vocal and, you know, they, they do a lot of solicitations that can be really annoying. Um, so yeah, they're, they're just behaving to as to what is natural for right. an intact animal and we're just not we're, one we're not used to it because we we do span into our animals so young so we don't see a lot of these behaviors and yeah too they they can cause a damage and annoyance because again the once they have that instinct to make babies they're going to want to get outside and find someone to make babies with Yes, if you've ever lived in a city where there are <laughs> un, intact cats uh, it sounds like someone being murdered in the alley it's a horrible sound. Yeah, it's a screaming sound. And the act itself looks incredibly unappetizing, not something you'd yeah. want to wish on an animal that you liked or loved. And yeah. there's also the fighting of tomcats that oh, beat yeah. each other up and wind up with abscesses and torn ears. And they, they look like old yeah. boxers, right? Yeah, yeah. So we yeah. all know spay-neuter fixed by five. You know, at five months mm-hmm. old, a female cat can make babies, which you would not wish on a a youngster of any species, but you particularly don't want that quickly to have more kittens. Kittens shouldn't be having kittens, which is what it boils down to. Thank you for for your feedback on that contraception idea, Michael, because obviously at this point, it's only an idea, but it would be wonderful if it could become some kind of a reality. And I hope it does soon. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're hoping for that, folks. In the meantime, you, you all know to spay and neuter, obviously. But if you hear about this contraceptive, it, it could be great for free-roaming cats once yeah. it's safe and available. And those are- Go science. Yes. <laughs> Go science. Yay, science. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And I also want to thank Wonderside for their support. It's a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your cats and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. 
A final pause up to Dr. Elsie's for all the fine products they make and their unwavering support of my mission to make life better for each and every kitty cat and their people. If you have cat problems or questions you'd like me to talk about on the show, please write me to Tracy at TracyHotchnerPets.com.